From the University of Florida, Jacksonville, this is the Trauma One Podcast. Okay, good afternoon. This is the Trauma One Podcast. I am Chad McIntyre, the manager of Trauma One Flight Services here in Jacksonville, Florida. And today we have a topic that I think is one of the most important uh, issues facing EMS today, as well as much of uh, the hand the operations of what we do and how we work within the healthcare system and that topic is patient handoff between our EMS providers and the receiving facility emergency department and trauma services so today we're happy to have three distinguished members of the UF Health Jacksonville uh, emergency services uh, emergency department and trauma services as well as the University of Florida College of Medicine which is uh, here at the UF Health Jacksonville A Street location. So first off, I would like to introduce our uh, manager of pediatrics and trauma center in our uh, emergency department here at A Street, David Meisenberg. How are you today, sir? Great, thank you, Chad, for putting this together. Thank you. Um, And from our Department of Emergency Medicine and our Deputy Medical Director for Trauma One Flight Services, Dr. Andrew Schmidt. Hello, happy to be here. And finally, from our Department of Surgery, uh, Acute Care Surgery and Trauma Services at University of Florida Jacksonville, uh, Dr. Brian Urquitas. Thank you for the invitation, Chad. Glad we can get this uh, topic out there to uh, improve the handoffs uh, between EMS and and the Trauma Center and the Emergency Department. So I guess just right off the bat, I know three of you guys have worked very hard on a process and um, to make note that all three of our our speakers today and our, our panel have a history in EMS. So um, that makes this important considering they are now the leaders here at 8th Street that can actually make a difference. So uh, to start off right off the bat is that we have instituted here at UF Health Jacksonville a process that would enhance the information gained from uh, our EMS providers to the trauma center uh, when we're, we're being received. So our nurse manager of the trauma center, David, how can you tell us a little bit about the, the project and, and how it impacts our EMS providers and our patients? Yeah, so this is a problem that's been recognized by multiple dis- disciplines in the organization. Um, you know, it's, it's noted by joint commission that up to 60% of uh, medical errors are the direct result of uh, miscommunication. So, and, and specifically during transitions of care for patients. So one of those uh, is from you know, immediate arrival of a patient uh, into the emergency department uh, and trauma specifically is what we've focused on since we have a, a dedicated trauma center at our organization. Really, we were aiming to uh, improve two processes, and that's the the handoff itself, and then uh, basically just efficiency of the team operations and the initial assessment and management of the patient. So, the EMS handoff piece, we you know did a literature search, and we found that you know there's several trauma centers around the country that are dealing with this same problem. And many of them have instituted what's called an EMS timeout. Oh, they, there's, there's various names for it, but essentially uh, all the team members, all the trauma team members are aware that 
when EMS arrives, everybody should be listening to their report um, about what they found in the field. We recognize that that information, uh, if we don't get it clearly from EMS, then that information is lost. So uh, and a lot of times it can significantly impact the direction uh, of the patient's initial management. So uh, we've used those, some of these other organizations, we got ideas from them. Uh, one was the Central Ohio Trauma System and another one was uh, a program in Texas, I believe in Houston. Uh, that put together these uh, EMS timeout plans. So when, when EMS arrives, somebody calls a timeout and everybody is supposed to focus their attention on EMS and give them 30 seconds uninterrupted uh, where they are allowed to give, to give a report. So, you know, this is um, very applaudable and, and you imagine the amount of work that goes in to get everybody on board for an, a, a progressive way of actually doing a patient handoff. So Dr. Schmidt, one of the things that David talked about was ensuring that we were not going to um, miss things that were critical for the patient, uh, especially during the transfer that the crew need to know, the, the receiving facility need to know about. And one of the things I found that was most interesting, and David kind of touched on it, is the document that came out um, back in 1999 to Air as Human that estimated that 44 to 98,000 people died every year as a result of a medical error that could have been prevented. And we, we don't really know how many of those were at handoff, but we know that that's a critical time. How have we went from, as an industry, the EMS industry, almost uh, over 20 years, essentially, have not been able to uh, get to a point that we have recognized the impact of EMS handoff and how critical those are? Well, the biggest problem with this, really, from EMS standpoint, is the quality of data. I think we've recognized it, definitely, and uh, the reports, like you talked about, have helped that, but it's a very difficult thing to study. Um, there are lots of, lots of factors that go into it. We're trying to put a study together right now at our own institution and meeting a lot of roadblocks. Um, one, you, you really want to know what the providers are saying um, and what they're relaying to the physicians, but there's a lot of legal, legal issues that uh, go around audio recording and video recording, especially with privacy. And then every institution is different. Every EMS agency is different. Um, so the information that we want is a little bit different. So again, you're, you're going across a very broad spectrum um, and it's very difficult to study. I don't think we've, it's so much that we haven't recognized it. If we, we haven't really figured out how to properly study it. Well, and that, that's a great point uh, is that we don't know how to study it, especially considering that I think when we think about EMS agencies, they're, they're all not the same. You know, our hospital here receives patients from multiple EMS agencies. Uh, the UF Health Jacksonville system is the prominent system for trauma and acute care, uh, critical care resuscitation center here at 8th Street. And I think that the work that we do is amazing for our citizens as well as for our EMS providers. Um, but do you believe, Dr. Yorkaitis, that some of this is an inability or a lack of recognition for the professional role, whether it's the EMS provider to the, uh, the physician or the nurses, and then vice versa. And again, saying that the three of you are in a unique position, all coming from EMS backgrounds. Do you, do you feel that that's sometimes a barrier is not understanding how the other works? 
So I think one of the um, <clears throat> issues uh, that we face in healthcare is really not understanding all uh, of the players' roles and responsibilities. I know emergency medicine residents uh, are required to spend time with EMS, but surgical residents aren't. They don't understand the challenges of the field, the profession, um, uh, professional training, the ongoing quality assurance that uh, many uh, EMS professionals uh, go throughout uh, their career. So one of the um, areas that I wanna focus on is really uh, having these surgical residents uh, understand what happens on the scene in the back of a truck. And uh, just this morning, I met with uh, one of the lieutenants uh, that's gonna be taking over quality with JFRD to really talk about uh, having that uh, happen for our surgical residents to really go out in the field and understand uh, really what uh, a, um, uh, a EMS professional does from not only their, um, uh, their work environment and the challenges that that places, but also really their fund of knowledge that they have. Uh, the um, education that goes into becoming a, a paramedic is, uh, is very intense and their knowledge base is incredible. And I, I really think that the barrier just uh, exists because just a lack of understanding. So once we uh, take down that barrier, I think uh, the interprofessional, interrelation, uh, interprofessional relationship will grow and the mutual respect for the provider, no matter what side of the bed, whether it be on the stretcher side or in the hospital side, uh, will um, will grow. And also the uh, paramedics may be able to learn um, uh, valuable skills from our um, our residents that are out in the field with them on some tricks of the trade that they use. Uh, so really at the end of the day, it's better patient care, more expedited patient care. So uh, for those listening outside of our Jacksonville area, JFRD, Jacksonville Fire Rescue is our uh, largest transporter here to UF Health Jacksonville on 8th Street. Uh, they employ several thousands of people with hundreds of thousands of transports a year, but they also are part of what we would say is uh, one of the challenges that we face is they deliver patients to um, probably eight to 10 hospitals within our geographical area. And each hospital wants their report just a little bit different or interacts with EMS just a little bit uh, different. And this question for Dave, as uh, Dave Meisenberg for as our manager of trauma and PDD, you came from a background of uh, air ambulance, uh, working on the trauma one uh, critical care air ambulance here. How has that experience uh, changed or altered how you lead a team of very educated and high skilled uh, nurses, and techs in the emergency department of PDD to kind of share what Dr. Yorkaitis was saying of, of that mutual respect. <clears throat> well, so I like to look at it. At, I mean, it, it did provide great perspective for me. And I, I like to look at it as a team concept. You know, we all operate with our own uh, close-knit teams. So you could consider the trauma center staff its own team. Uh, and I use the analogy like the Navy SEALs, whereas the Navy SEALs are a super elite team, but without the support of a larger team, they would be nothing. They would, they would get crushed. So without the support of the other branches of the military, they would be, uh, you know, they would get crushed. So they rely on the, the services of a larger team. And I like to consider 
us just one piece of a larger team. So EMS is their own team. Uh, the emergency department, the inpatient units of the hospital are other pieces of a larger team. And we all have to work together to the patient to, to give the patient the best, the best possible outcome. So being from a pre-hospital, uh, being able to say I've worked in a pre-hospital role, and I think I understand the, ch the own unique challenges that pre-hospital providers face, I think it gives me a good, um, just good perspective as to the, uh, you know, it, it's, I see the other side of the fence. And so I'm, I, I try to, you know, really share that with my staff that we have to have a good working relationship with all the other parts of this greater team uh, so we can give the patients the best chance for an optimal outcome. So Dr. Schmidt, you are um, one of our younger in years members of UF Health. Um, however, also come with a great deal of experience and knowledge background before uh, you're becoming an attending here. So do you believe um, and how have you dealt with the challenges that um, EMS faces in the hospital with handoff and, and I think that we here at UF Health Jacksonville A Street have done a good job to overcome those but when we're talking about other EMS providers that say that they're frustrated at times because of the patient handoff how do you approach as an attending physician other attending physicians and staff to to reinforce why we why this is important for relationship building and patient care. Uh, so I think uh, Dr. Urquidez touched on this well before, and I want to piggyback on that. Um, it almost all comes from a misunderstanding of what happens in the field. All of us in the podcast right now are very lucky to have had experience in pre-hospital medicine, uh, but majority of physicians I work with have never set foot in an ambulance or have never truly, truly treated a patient in the field. Uh, so a lot of it starts from a resident standpoint. Um, a lot of attendees who have been around for a long time, it's almost too late for them, honestly, but uh, we do our best to educate uh, what goes on the back of the truck or in the back of the helicopter and just try to act as a middleman when there's bad communication, um, pulling people aside and saying, hey, hey, here's what's going on. How can we, how can we work this out? Uh, working closely with our local uh, EMS agencies and their QI departments to make sure that they get the feedback to us. Big problem is a lot of talking behind each other's backs. Um, that information goes from the medic to the QI department, but never actually makes it back to us. So having an open door policy of contact us 24 hours a day and we will take care of this uh, helps a lot. From a resident standpoint, it all starts with edu educating our residents. Uh, just recently, we completely revamped our EMS curriculum within the emergency medicine residency because originally they had us, they had the residents riding along as a third year. So you go through your first two years of training, you get to a third year, you're kind of burnt out at that point. Uh, you go to your ride-alongs and you go off to your nice cush community job and forget about EMS and continue to yell at them when they come to the door. Uh, but what we have changed this year is actually putting those ride-alongs in the first year. So the very beginning, when you're your mind is fresh and you really want to learn what's going on in medicine, you're getting on those trucks and you actually build a, an appreciation from day one and not at the end of your curriculum. And I think that's really helped our residents realize what's coming through the door. And if a medic comes without, with a patient without an IV, there's probably a reason why that's happened. So like I said, currently, at least from my standpoint, it's all about educating our residents uh, up front. 
Yes, we've all heard, um, I think those of us that had our days on the streets of not having the uh, life-saving saline while we were managing a bad airway for 25, 30 minutes. Uh, and, and, and I applaud all of you uh, here at UF Health Jacksonville on 8th Street for the, the work that you've done to overcome those types of barriers and to really uh, enhance the relationship between EMS and the uh, UF Health in, uh, receiving facility here on 8th Street. So you are listening to the Trauma One podcast here at UF Health Jacksonville. And we are talking with David Meisenberg, a paramedic and nurse manager for the trauma center, the our adult level one trauma center in the pediatric ED. Dr. Andrew Schmidt, from an attending physician in our uh, adult and pediatric emergency department, as well as deputy medical director for Trauma One Flight Services, and Dr. Brian Yorkaitis, who is part of our acute care surgery. And also, uh, one of the things that I wanted to ask Dr. Yorkaitis is that as you have even become an attending physician today in a busy level one trauma center, you also lead, for those that don't know, our tactical emergency casualty care course, training our EMS professionals how to operate and, and function in less than optimal condition, uh, conditions. Uh, so how does your experience, and even in a position like that, to teach and be involved with the EMS system, do you think helps with the relationship, and in turn, the relationship with the handoff? Certainly, Chad. Uh, first, I just wanna piggyback on something Dr. Schmidt said. I think also Dr. Schmidt and, and myself and many other the uh, attending physicians do a great job of, <clears throat> of being role models, of really um, teaching the residents when EMS comes in what EMS has to bring us. And I think that's one of the best things is by leading, leading by example. And, and I think we do a great job uh, to make sure that uh, those that uh, uh, have significant knowledge of pre-hospital healthcare uh, do lead um, and uh, spread that knowledge. I was fortunate to be offered the uh, position to direct the TECC course uh, offered by uh, Trauma One. Uh, my experience in the field, um, I, I was—I started my career in the 90s in EMS and worked through the 2000s when 9-11 happened. <clears throat> so I was uh, um, very lucky to have a lot of training in mass casualty incidents, uh, weapons of mass destruction. But one thing that we didn't uh, get a lot of training on is in the tactical element. Uh, after 9-11, I did uh, become a deputy sheriff uh, uh, at Alle in Allegheny County in, in Pittsburgh, and that's where I uh, uh, got my law enforcement training. And I really uh, found um, marrying the two when I would uh, still work some shifts as a paramedic, especially when scenes were uh, unsafe, uh, to be very beneficial. And now that I get to uh, help teach uh, the uh, TECC course, it really uh, provides an opportunity, one, is for that good interpersonal, interdisciplinary relationship because we, in healthcare and in public service, rely on each other. No town has only a fire department or only a police department or only an EMS agency. Uh, they all rely on uh, interacting with each other. The goal is to provide a safe community that provides optimal outcomes in times of, uh, of duress. And with the TECC course, uh, we're able to really uh, have a, uh, interdisciplinary uh, relationship uh, with EMS and uh, law enforcement and also uh, fire services. This together um, promotes um, 
teamwork and team is at the core of any any organization or <clears throat> any uh, movement that's going to uh, be effective is everybody on the team has to know what each other's capable of and how they uh, relate to each other on the um, on the end uh, goal the course itself provides great life-saving skills for those uh, in pre-hospital that um, will help them under uh, situations that are very stressful. We're talking about active shooter situations um, in domestic terrorism in which you don't have a lot of time um, for any room for error or judgment uh, 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 deviation and judgment. So uh, together with this course, we really uh, help the EMS professional and the law enforcement professional come together. And the only way that happens is through good communication. It's a fundamental, ba the basement uh, of the house is the fundamental understanding of each roles. We build upon that a foundation of the house by um, educating each other and working with each other through communication. And I think one thing that's taught so, so much in the course is how to communicate with each other effectively, efficiently to get the mission done. So I think that, you know, one of the, the uh, nice things about our relationship here at Trauma One, uh, the UF Health, Jacksonville at 8th Street, and the entire UF College of Medicine, Jacksonville, is I, I would say that we are the rarity, and I would like to get you guys' opinion that how many other hospitals do you know of that uh, the EMS provider can deliver a patient to our um, adult level one trauma center, our PEDS, trauma, uh, PEDS ED, or our critical care adult ED, and see one of you there to receive the patient and to take the report. And then days later, be sitting in the class that you are teaching, or um, in David and Andrew Schmidt's, um, Dr. Schmidt's role as they may be climbing out of the helicopter, or uh, with Dr. Yorkitis that he's on the ambulance. Or how how common do you really think that that is? Because I can tell you, in my 25 years, I think that what we do here, um, that building the relationship and allowing the provider. Uh, in our region to have that kind of contact and get that kind of feedback is, is key. And uh, I'll um, ask Dr. Schmidt first. Uh, yeah. I mean, it's, it's something that you really see in the places that have EMS fellowships and have built a relationship over a long time. Uh, we currently don't have one. So I think you're spot on that. We're lucky with um, the relationship we built with EMS. Um, it's, it's been a long road, but I think we've been around long enough that we've realized the role that they play and the most important thing is having the right people in place, understanding that and having an appreciation for that. Um, and just in my time here, it's, it's, I've seen it improve. And I mean, I've been here six years, so short time in the long span of things. Um, but I've seen such an improvement over that time and seeing so many people realizing how important it is. Um, it's, it, when it comes down to it, we are their customers. Um, they do have a choice sometimes to where they bring the patient. Um, so it's important for us um, to relay their role in the whole process and how much we appreciate them. And then having that mutual respect. And again, like you said, it, there's nothing better than going out and, and meeting them on the outside for a meeting or a lecture. Next week, we're going to talk to the new JFRD recruits. And it's just, it really closes the loop and builds relationships that are long lasting. So for example, David, um, you're on the Trauma One helicopter this Saturday. 
uh, flying a shift as a crew member. And um, it's very likely that the very crew that um, you respond with uh, as a partner to pick up the patient from, whether it's uh, St. John's County Fire Rescue here in Florida or Putnam County EMS, um, and you may be the uh, crew that picks him up and the nurse manager uh, for the team that will receive the patient. So how do you think that impacts not only our relationships, but the quality of being able to give feedback and, and knowing the person uh, through that visualization? I think it's beneficial uh, in the regards, in regards that, you know, that face-to-face -face interaction, seeing each other in the field, I think it gives them some comfort that I, I at least have an idea of the, the environment that they work in, challenges that they face. I like to use those opportunities to, you know, really let them know that we value them, um, we appreciate their input. I always tell them if you have experiences that leave a bad taste in your mouth, please let somebody know. Don't accept it as the norm because uh, we can't, in my opinion, we just can't have those ad any type of adversarial relationships uh, in this line of work. We have to be able to overcome those. And a large majority of those situations, I think, can be avoided just by communicating. And so all of us, I think, are really trying to establish and, and, and foster those, those relationships so we can have open lines of communication. And um, we don't just keep those negative experiences to ourselves and don't say anything and then, you know, let them, let them grow and, and make things worse. So I, you know, I, I still think it's a very, very valuable and it's important for me to still be able to go out there um, and operate in that environment. And uh, as the manager of flight services, I appreciate you letting me do that from time to time. So this is the Trauma One podcast at UF Health Jacksonville. And we have uh, three distinguished members of our UF Health team, David Meisenberg, Dr. Yorkaitis, and Dr. Schmidt. And if you've been listening thus far, you may have wondered how we got to building of the relationships from our topic of patient handoffs. And I'm gonna kind of tie that off, tie that around right now with Dr. Yorkaitis, is the, um, the just-in-time uh, education or the feedback that is given to the provider right there at the scene or at the bedside um, from the physician or a nurse leader and how that impacts the quality and how it from the relationship building to the quality and the information you're getting. So one of the great opportunities I have is, is to be there probably 90 some percent when the patient's received by EMS into our uh, level one trauma center. When I, I get to see you know, EMS deliver the patient uh, to us and really hear the report, but studies have shown that we really don't do a good job at understanding what they provided for the patient. You know, <clears throat> uh, UPMC uh, did a study and showed that 20% of the documentation in the ER chart was correct compared to the uh, run sheet from the EMS. That means we're not focusing and we're not listening. 
what we need to focus in is a systematic um, uh, report process. And Dr. And Dr. Schmidt, Dr. Skrupa, one of my partners, uh, Dave Meisenberg and I, uh, along with other uh, professionals, have really come up with uh, how we wanted to, to best deliver the information in the quickest way possible. And we're starting to use the MIST, M-I-S-T uh, acronym. And we're MIST, uh, M is mechanism injury. I, injuries identified. What did our EMS professionals find on this patient so far? S, symptoms and vital signs. So what, what was the patient complaining of? And what were your vital signs, significant aberrancies and normal vital signs? And T, treatment. What treatments did you provide for the patient? That's so important because we don't want to provide a treatment that may have been uh, already provided or deleterious uh, to the patient in the back uh, of the ambulance. But the best part of my job is to have the uh, EMS professional come up to me and say, hey doc, what, what could I have done differently? And that to me is, is why Trauma One is, is the leader. You know, in 1983, we opened the first trauma center in Florida. And it really speaks volumes of the respect that, that EMS has for a trauma surgeon uh, at UF Health. And they ask my opinion. Many of them know that I worked in EMS uh, uh, previously. And it gives me an opportunity to say, you did a great job, or you did a great job, but we can work on, on maybe uh, uh, not a second attempt at an airway, but, but placing a king, a king tube going for the IO, um, titrating pain medicine. We know that um, uh, all of us in healthcare um, are, are challenged with that pain management aspect of our care. Um, and and I, I love to be able to provide feedback on, on the dosing of drugs, uh, especially in the pediatric population. I have um, extensive training in, in pediatric trauma and pediatric surgery, and that's always um, a difficult uh, call to go on not only as an EMT or paramedic, but as, as an attending trauma surgeon, uh, and I'm sure as, the, uh, as Dr. Schmidt would share as an emergency physician, but really providing uh, feedback on appropriate dosing of medications and management of the pediatric patients. Because um, in one survey of uh, EMS professionals, they provided zero advanced airway uh, uh, um, in one year. So uh, seasoned EMS professionals were asked how many pediatric intubations they performed in a year, and the average was zero. So I think uh, management, you know, uh, giving feedback, especially on the pediatric patient, at the end of the day, everybody wins. The professional wins, they gain knowledge. I win because I, I learned something uh, that happened in the field that maybe I can uh, help with and provide education for. And at the end of the day, the patient wins by uh, providing the best care and, and doing a, a quick bedside quality assurance and quality improvement um, right at the bedside. So you bring up a great point, Dr. Yorkaitis, and um, one of the things that has always been interesting to me, and, and I think we've all been involved in that, is the pre-hospital or EMS agency's QI process, and in most cases, they're not punitive, but they really are about performance improvement and ensuring quality or quality assurance. Uh, however, the providers, even if it's told that these are not punitive, they feel it's punitive. Uh, however, when it's coming from one of the three of you, Dr. Schmidt from the emergency department, um, Dr. Yorkaitis uh, from the Department of Surgery, and uh, David Meisenberg from the Trauma Center and PZD as the nurse manager, when they come from when it comes from you at the bedside, it seems to be taken 
a little bit better. Do, do you see that, Dr. Schmidt, or, and do you feel that that's true? Yeah, well, you just took the words out of my mouth. I was actually going to bring this up, um, and I think something that Dr. Kaius brought up that is so important, and he used the example of, one, you did a good job, or two, you did a good job, but here's how we can improve this. Uh, something that a colleague of mine before I came on did really well and really instilled in all of our minds is how we communicate and what we communicate to the EMS providers. It used to just be that the EMS agencies heard when they screwed up. That was the only time we contacted QI. That was the only time we talked to the providers. Hey, you screwed up. You could have done this better. Um, this is all your fault. And that's when they would hear about it or get a report from us. Changing that paradigm to a more positive feedback of how they can improve uh, but what they have done well, um, what they have done well on scene, what they have done well with their practice, has completely changed how we communicate. And again, that's something I've seen over over my years here is just changing the way you think and changing um, the way you approach these issues uh, makes them want to come to you more and makes them want to ask you more questions at the bedside because they're not afraid that you're going to come back, talk to their bosses, talk to their captains, and actually get the, them in trouble. So I think I think changing that paradigm has really improved our communication with the providers. So one of the things that you um, just brought up, Dr. Schmidt and Dr. Urkaitis, and I would like to um, send this uh, question to David because it's always been in, of interest to me, is the process and the mist, the mechanism, injuries observed, uh, signs and symptoms and treatment that we are using here at UF Health Jacksonville uh, in the trauma center, it really has to do with uh, making sure we get the pertinent, pertinent information in a timely manner to the receiving facility so they can continue care. Uh, but the question I, I've often wondered is that in our uh, patient care charts, and, and David, you know as well as I do that for our Trauma One uh, Critical Care Air Transport uh, program here is that, you know, it's about eight pages long um, and with a whole lot more detail is how, how useful do you think it is that that kind of information get to the, the the attending physician or the nursing um, services that are caring for that patient? Because I'll tell you right now, I don't think it happens. Yeah, unfortunately, I, I don't think that there is a really good process in place, at least here in our, in our institution. The uh, full written EMS report is usually added to the chart sometime well after the patient is dropped off. And so it is really inconsistent. Uh, you know, the different EMS agencies in our area do leave uh, usually some type of a written report, and the degree of completion is large is largely variable. Um, and I I I agree with you. I think that they there is a lot of important information. Uh, in those records that sometimes may not be included in a brief report such as missed that um, is, is valuable information. The point of the missed report is to get that really important information about the trauma patient uh, really quickly conveyed. Uh, you know, in a in a systematic fashion, so that everybody on the trauma team is listening for that that information, and gets it quickly, and they can move on with the assessment. But the other information that you're speaking of, I think, is also important. And it, you know, 
maybe as technology improves, there will be a mechanism to have that full report um, sooner. Um, but it's really inconsistent now. Yeah, Chad, if you don't mind me adding on to that, I think that's a huge barrier that we need to work on um, from a system standpoint and probably from a national standpoint. Um, it's, it's the same as communicating between hospitals for transfers. We're all on different platforms with different proprietary software that doesn't like to talk to each other. Uh, as David brought up, at least in our example with our local agencies, they all give a paper report to us, but it's often uh, incomplete because what matters to them and to their job is their electronic CAD system, uh, which we have no access to. Um, it's it obviously there's a lot of legal issues within privacy issues, uh, but systems I've seen that do function well with this are ones that have um, data that is shared immediately. So uh, the EMS agency leaves and we still don't have some information. You can go into the CAD system and see exactly what they got on scene. Um, so that's just something from a system standpoint, I'm sure a lot of areas struggle with um, and it's something to look forward to in the future. Yeah, and you know, David brought up a great point uh, about the mist is that the goal of what you guys have developed is so that care can continue rapidly um, and information can be received in a systemized, systematic manner, but that doesn't take the place of that we need all of the other information too. This is just the, the four elements that we need right now. And I can tell you that as a provider that oftentimes it's not until I start writing the chart that I remember things that, uh, you know, there are nice check boxes and drop down boxes that remind me to put something in. And I probably didn't communicate that because I kind of forgot. Um, so getting those charts in, and you're correct, Dr. Schmidt and, and David is that oftentimes we, we don't get those until later. And, and this is not, our problem in Jacksonville or our problem at UF Health Jacksonville, um, it really is a systems problem. And, you know, Dr. Eurokaitis, one of the things that the hospitals now are being graded on and even impacts funding is outcomes. So how do you think that EMS can better help their uh, receiving facilities on meeting those outcome goals? And is there something that the EMS industry could do better or needs to um, not do at all that impacts those because for the hospitals, you're talking money. That's a great point, uh, Chad. The uh, outcomes start at the time the injury or illness uh, happens. And that's, you know, outside the hospital typically. So we rely on EMS professionals to uh, deliver high quality care that's effective, that's communicated well so we prevent duplication or adverse events. Um, one thing that is uh, is problematic in healthcare is documentation. One, because it's uh, burdensome, but two, it's often attempts at communication yield lack of communication because as uh, Dr. Schmidt said, a disjointed system. Um, it'd be nice if uh, the whole uh, age, you know, uh, region was on the same uh, documentation system. Uh, in, in some states do require that the same documentation system be used for their uh, run reports or trip sheets, if you will. Um, and uh, this, the state designs uh, or contracts with the company, uh, then every um, hospital, when they go through their EMR system, pick up an EMR system that can communicate with the uh, pre-hospital um, documentation to provide the optimal outcomes. Because maybe, just as you said, Chad, maybe one allergy that you knew 
um, that uh, the patient's loved one told you on scene uh, was kind of forgotten on the um, on the list of four allergies that they had. And then we go ahead and receive an intubated patient or a tunded patient that can't provide us that information. Family's not at the scene, uh, family's not at the hospital. And we may go ahead and give them a medication that might yield an adverse event. And then, you know, the quality uh, of the patient's care and the outcome is, is drastically uh, affected. So I think there needs to be an integration in, uh, of the, their documentation. And, and one is, is a timely documentation. I mean, I uh, ran many shifts uh, in EMS that I could barely get um, my trip sheets done by the time I was done at the end of the day, let alone at the end of each call. Um, and I think um, the portable design now of, of laptops and, and, and iPads and such will make it easier for EMS to uh, get that done on, on a, uh, on a uh, expeditious process. But uh, it's the communication back and forth because the outcome starts when the injury or illness happens and EMS provides a crucial role. Uh, I mean, especially in, in more rural settings such as, uh, you know, with MIs and, and strokes, we know that uh, time is muscle and time is brain and their interventions are so important. But it boils down to adequately training uh, these professionals and, and making sure that, that they're up to date and integrated into the process of, of patient care from time of illness or injury to discharge that everyone's part of, of that team for the optimal outcome of the patient and I think it it comes down to the relationship that you have with with EMS I think we're very fortunate here at UF Health uh, Jacksonville Trauma One that that we're supported by administration and, and uh, leadership to go out in the community to make sure that our EMS professionals uh, and us have uh, good interactions to provide the optimal care which at the end of the day, that uh, time we spend out in the field with the EMS professionals really yields good quality outcomes because the, the understanding of the, the system of care that needs to happen uh, gets relayed to them uh, by us. So I, I think a key point that uh, all of us would agree on is that for the most part, the charting that we do in 2017 on our patients is not built around care and quality, it's built around billing and funding. Um, and most of us will laugh uh, inside a little bit, remembering when we used to uh, write our charts on paper and uh, physicians could write their progress notes or uh, then nurses their care plan and go on about actually being with patients. And now we're all a bunch of people running around pushing these little carts with laptops on them. Not saying that we go back to where we were because we definitely can collect a whole lot more data, uh, but it is a, a fact of where we are. So um, coming up on the end of uh, the time of our podcast, I, I want to give each of you a time to kind of give your thoughts on where you see the handoff and the, pa the patient handoff from EMS to the receiving facility going, um, how you anticipate the progress of that here at UF Health Jacksonville and um, what you are most interested in, in seeing in the EMS industry. So to remind everyone, uh, we have a unique panel with us today talking about EMS handoff from the pre-hospital provider to the receiving facility. 
And the reason these each of these three um, gentlemen that are joining us today is that they serve in leadership positions in the UF Health Jacksonville system and come all come from an EMS background and still work in EMS. So first off, uh, David Meisenberg, our nurse manager of the level one trauma center here at UF Health and the pediatric emergency department, also a flight nurse paramedic on the trauma one helicopter. Uh, where do you see this going and um, what would you like for your the EMS professionals that live in our area uh, or that live in other areas transporting people that are also frustrated with how the handoff works currently at their location? Well, well I'll tell you, uh, short term, we are really focusing on just making this process a habit within our organization and making it the norm rather than the exception. So we're still, you know, just on a day-to-day -day basis, we're inconsistent from one uh, EMS handoff and resuscitation to the next, but, uh, you know, we're all committed to improving this process and in improving our interaction on a day-to-day -day basis with the EMS providers that bring us patients. And so short term, and we're really just working on improving our, our process and making it a uh, habit. And so we're going to be uh, within the next month or two, we're going to start doing monthly uh, simulation exercises where we just unannounced have a, a trauma patient arrive and we work on our process. We are planning on it including our EMS partners uh, when possible uh, in these simulation exercises. And then we'll do immediate uh, feedback to the providers after uh, the simulation exercise. Uh, again, just trying to improve our process and make it our habit. Then more long-term, I'd like to see us to be able to really develop a regional system where our EMS partners and the emergency departments that they transport patients to, I know it'll be never, will never be completely on the same page, but at least if we can make it as close to as possible of being on the same page so that the EMS providers can can expect to provide the same information and get a similar response from all the all the different organizations in our region. Uh, I don't that might be a pipe dream, but um, I think it would improve uh, uh, ultimately improve uh, the handoff period of uh, when a patient arrives in an emergency department. So, David, uh, you know. Um, change is hard and it's harder for EMS people because we like things to be uh, we like it this way uh, it's always been this way what's wrong with it um, and um, I applaud um, the work that you and your team have done to um, to say we're gonna we're committed to this and we know we're not gonna get it right every time and we know we're gonna have an obstacle and we're gonna try again and then we're gonna try again because that that's really how change is done um, and, and you're right the regional system of making sure that EMS people um, providers in, in the area know that if I take a patient here I give a report this way if I take a patient here I give it this way 
Um, but you know, kudos to you for for and and for everybody that has worked on this project to say, um, you know, it may be a pipe dream, but we're going to try for it anyways because uh, if you never try, you never get there. So uh, excellent work, um, Doctor uh, Yorkitis. Where do you see? Um, the patient handoff, and, and even if you want to expand into the patient, uh, the, the pre-hospital provider um, role in, uh, say, 2020. So as uh, systems uh, change and, and grow in, in new parts and, and new laws and legislation come about, there's always uh, significant hurdles to overcome. But I think the basis really needs to be on the relationship that that the healthcare team has. So every day I'm gonna go out and continue building my relationship with EMS professionals. I'm gonna be a beacon in the trauma center for our uh, surgical residents and the trauma center nurses and the emergency medicine uh, uh, physicians to really uh, show that EMS professionals uh, play a valuable role in the uh, outcomes of these patients. Remember, as I said, the injury or illness starts, you know, they're the first ones to get to, to interact with the patient and provide appropriate care to them, getting them to the right place at the right time, the level one trauma center in the region if they're uh, severely injured, taking them to a, a verified stroke center. Uh, uh, if they have a heart attack, taking them to a place that has uh, capables, capabilities of PCI and providing them that we work as a team. And I think, once we have a good relationship, it's it's much easier to build upon the uh, the end goal, and that's the outcome, the optimal outcome of the patient. So I think um, we'll uh, continue to be out in the community, and I'm always available for any anyone that needs uh, to talk about uh, anything. And also, I think uh, feedback, as we talked about earlier, really needs to be immediate. It needs to be constructive, not destructive. Is to really uh, help uh, help the person uh, if there's something that can be improved upon. Everyone steps out every day to do their best to deliver the most uh, efficient, effective patient care they can. But sometimes we're victims of circumstance. We get tunnel vision. We're we're caught up in in something uh, that uh, another injury that that takes us. Or, or we're seeing uh, an abnormal EKG that may be normal uh, or, or anything. And we want them to know that it's non-punitive. It's only to improve everyone's experience and ultimately the patient's experience. So thank you, Dr. Yorkaitis, for those um, to remember that Dr. Yorkaitis was a previous EMS professional, was a previous deputy sheriff, is a member of our acute care uh, surgery team here at UF Health Jacksonville and uh, is one of the trauma surgeons that you will often see in our trauma center as well as the medical director for the program Tactical Emergency Casualty Care offered by Trauma One and uh, sponsored by the NAEMT. Uh, Dr. Schmidt, so Dr. Schmidt, if you can, uh, you have your fingers on the pulse of EMS as a deputy medical director for Trauma One Flight Services. Um, someone who actually continues to, uh, just as many of us who puts on a flight suit and gets in the helicopter that gets in the back of the ambulances and has ridden on the side of many a stretcher into the hospital. Um, where do you see the greatest um, challenges to, as David said, our regional um, patient handoff system? 
Um, and one of the, where do you see our EMS profession and relationship with the hospital in 2020? Uh, sure. Um, so first off, what I think needs to happen next is better data collection. I kind of started talking about this and I'll end talking about this. Um, it's very, very hard to collect data on this, but more people need to try and we need to have more programs coming up with innovative ways. So programs like ours can learn how to do it better. Um, also, uh, what I'm, I'm excited about right now is a current project that we're doing with our own institution uh, through a grant from University of Florida Gainesville, uh, where we're actually going to be tracking EMS physician communications from the point of dispatch all the way to the patient being put in the bed in the ED. And the point of that is to look at a degradation of information. So we may have a great report that comes as a dispatch, maybe less report that the triage nurse, and by a third or fourth time they're, talk, they're telling us about the patient, we're just getting a minimal report. Um, so we're very excited about that study we're going to be doing. Um, and then what I see in the future, and I guess this is my dying wish, and I say dying wish because it probably won't happen by the time I die, um, but like I talked about, a better um, better longitudinal data going across multiple systems. So again, a problem between our hospitals, if someone gets sent from a hospital down the street, I cannot get that data. They may have been to that hospital 10 times a week before and I can't see that. Just the same, I can't get the data from the run report uh, that the patient just came from the EMS agency. So that's what I hope for in the future is a system um, that works across different EMRs to, to attach this data and to bring it all together uh, to improve uh, patient care. Great. Well, um... Let's hope that those things happen, and I don't want it to be your uh, death wish. Um, Dr. Schmidt, we need you around for a long time, um, but I always tell uh, for those listening that have seen Dr. Schmidt and I at conferences and in classrooms, we pick at each other a little bit, and I often will say, if you keep on, that death may come a lot sooner uh, than you expected. So um, as we finish up today, I want to thank um, our panel uh, David Meisenberg, nurse and paramedic trauma center and pediatric nurse manager. Uh, Dr. Brian Yorkaitis, assistant professor of surgery, division of acute care surgery at UF College of Medicine, Jacksonville. And Dr. Andrew Schmidt, assistant professor of emergency medicine, medical director for Jacksonville Beach Ocean Rescue and deputy medical director for Trauma One Flight Services. These are um, uh, the topic we talked about today here at UF Health Jacksonville Trauma One Flight Services podcast is patient handoff and how the relationships between EMS and the receiving facility and receiving physicians increases quality and better patient outcomes. I thank all of you for your time. Thank you for listening to the Trauma One podcast and stay tuned um, and make sure to subscribe to listen to our next one. Have a good day, everybody. Trauma One podcast out.